Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory, and it's November 1st, you guys. You know what that means? Ugh. I'm the Christmas lady, so it's pretty awesome, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like getting ready to start the decorations. I'm like totally in that mood, seriously. Um, and more so because it seems like this Christmas we're gonna have a lot of fun. So today I wanted us to recap what happened yesterday because I did tell you something big is coming and it did and it was in the form of Lindsey Graham who I have been pretty <laughs> pretty critical of since I ever started this um show. Oh and uh by the way, I'm going to start like putting together um what is it? I don't want to say like oh, you know, past proves the future kind of series on YouTube, but I'm thinking of taking like all my shows, the show that I did like on November 6th, 2018, and then the show that I did on November 6th, 2019, and do a compare and contrast to see what was, what was going on then and what was anticipated then as to what actually happened, how did it happen, and did it happen yet? I, I thought of, doing something like that. Um, so I thought I'd just tell you, cause I have like the best listener base. You guys, you guys are incredible, uh, because I read messages, uh, from all of you emails and tips and, and, oh, and by the way, I have to get kind of say working with some of these amazing journalists, um, where we share information and it feels as if all of us are pretty much the unofficial uh, news team for the president. And that includes all of you, their listeners, their, you know, viewers, their followers. So I just wanted to say thanks. I mean, you know, wait, it is Thanksgiving one. So let's, ah, that's, you know, let's do this. As a citizen of the United States, I think all of us should challenge ourselves to just think what we're most grateful for. And since today, we're going to take a step back into the Tory time machine to New Year's Day. I think I'm grateful that we are the only nation that is closest to being a nation of free people than anything. Today, I can say I'm thankful for that. I am very thankful for that. And I hope all of us are. All of us that are listening right now should be very thankful for that. Now, let's see. So we got to cover, uh, you know, we have to cover Lindsey Graham, um, definitely. And uh, we also have to cover uh, just a little bit more in regards to what happened uh, in uh, um, Congress yesterday. This vote that was like. People were dressed up as like Halloween characters going in there laughing, you know, fist bumping, uh, you know, busy, 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 smiling. And I'm thinking, wow, if I was in Congress, no matter how much I hated whoever was president that we're impeaching, right? And say they committed atrocious crimes too, okay? Let's put it that way. Let's say that they committed atrocious crimes too. I would be so humbled that my vote would be recorded as historic because you don't impeach a president every day. You don't move forward to impeach a president every day. So I would be humbled and completely, you know, 
I, I, I think I would be numb, right? Because it's a big deal. Now imagine how they've trivial, trivialized that process by putting forward a vote for impeachment that was completely partisan, completely partisan, right? The only bipartisanship we saw was what? That Democrats said no, and they were smart because they were in red districts. Or else they would have just shown uh, allegiance to the Democratic Party. But I think maybe they're realizing, I don't want to be recorded in history as that clown that put my name next to a vote for impeachment when there was no reason for impeachment other than the fact that we are dismantling the deep state this, uh, you know, the gutting of the deep state is like at the root of it. You know, when you're getting into that weed, that little, what, <laughs> I'm not a gardener, so I'm going to use my own term here, okay? That little, uh, little mini shovel that you use and you put in to like take it out. Well, that mini shovel point is touching the root. And that root has Obama in there, Hillary in there, but it all also has them. And we keep, I keep saying them. They, and I don't think it's, it's the time to, 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 to make that statement and point them out because the invisible is very hard, uh, to identify. And the only way you become invisible is to mesh with everyone, right? Uh, I mean, that's rule number one. Uh, you know, being that person that kind of blends into the background that no one sees, kind of like when you're playing hide and, hide and go seek. Hiding in a closet is one way, just standing still up against the wall, no one will notice, right? So that's uh, the name of the game here, the invisible minglers. So they are very, very upset. On that note, what I want to do is kind of a recap. So we saw the, the, the charade and how happy they were and giddy they were that they were f- going forward with this. And it should have been a very somber moment. It is a historical moment that it, this is the first partisan, you know, impeachment because it was completely partisan. But also, how come they had no shame? Like 232 people that have been elected by constituents, by their constituents and people in the United States. And, you know, for some point, I'll argue that the majority of them got illegal immigrant votes. But, you know, whatever technicalities, right? Regardless, they're in office. They weren't even ashamed. This is a sham and they know it, but they weren't even ashamed because they're mindless. They're exactly what was said by Cuck Todd, because we're going to get into Cuck Todd now. Cuck Todd had said, well, he doesn't listen to anybody. He just does what he wants to. And O'Brien said, that's what the president's supposed to do. He's supposed to make the decision. We give advice. Well, this is exactly what those 232 people in Congress are. Mindless puppets. None of them sat to think, oh my gosh, my name is going down in history books. Katie Porter from California, it's Halloween. She turned up to cast her vote on impeachment in a Batman outfit and she's not a looker. Okay? Like she didn't even look good at all. But regardless, looking good or not, you don't trivialize something like this. You know when it's the only time you trivialize it? When you know it's BS. And it's just a tool, and it's not actually something formal. That's when you trivialize something. Now, I want you guys, I'm, I'm tweeting this out. I want you guys to give Kelly Armstrong a lot of love today. I want you guys to listen 
to his interview with Cuck Todd discussing the partisan impeachment inquiry. Take a listen. Should we not take what's said in those opening statements, whether it's Ambassador Taylor, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Fiona Hill, that we shouldn't take that as their testimony? I think you should take that as their opening statement to their testimony. And when you have okay. the whole transcript, when each side gets to read it. But I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. I think that this is abundantly clear. And this is something I've noticed in D.C. since the first day I got here. One of the things that the career establishment bureaucratic establishment doesn't like about the president is he doesn't do things in the same way that they're used to. And I think actually that's why the guy got elected and that's why I was proud mm -hmm. to support him. So saying that something wasn't done properly or through proper channels does not make it illegal, does not make it improper, and does not make it impeachable by any stretch of the imagination. Well, of course, there is an illegal standard to impeachment. As you know, it doesn't matter whether something legal or not. Whether we, well, as we know, impeachment is a political... It's a political definition, right? We know, I mean, what's impeachable? It's like a ham sandwich. What can you indict? You can indict a ham sandwich. Doesn't mean you convict a ham sandwich. As, as somebody who served on the House Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee, I can tell you full, with full support that this impeachment process, process is a purely political exercise. Is there anything you've heard that's been disturbing to you? Is there, I'm curious this, uh, because, you know, I've talked to plenty of Republicans who are in this sort of middle ground. They don't believe it's impeachable, but they do think the president did something here that he shouldn't have done. But there is no me mechanism to, to sort of wrap his wrists because it's either all or nothing. Yeah, I think the answer to all of that is if whenever you put yourself in this situation as somebody else, particularly somebody with President Trump's personality and those types of things, would you have done some things maybe a little different? Sure. But that doesn't rise to, to the point of impeachment, particularly when you're dealing with the Democratic Party that started these the second day I got here and just moves from one issue to the other. I've seen nothing remotely close to something that rises to the conduct uh, of impeachable. And if impeachment was actually, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, as somebody who's done this in, the, in a court of law my entire life, I would be happy to defend the president in any real courtroom. Yeah, that's it. That is our boy right there. We've got his eyes on everything, and that is incredible. Speaking of eyes on everything, uh, you know, months ago I had published that article about, um, you know, Matt Whitaker having his eyes on everything about Matt Whitaker being appointment appointed under sessions. And again, Millie Weaver, millennial Millie strikes again with an amazing little video. So now we're going to hop back into time to 2018, October, uh, October 3rd, 2018, when he was appointed, but listen to how eloquently she put it together. I'm going to be sharing this video over the break. Take a listen. Don't put it past the establishment to take the opportune moment to stick a dagger in Trump's back. Not surprising, the mainstream media is siding with the Democrats' impeachment claims, helping them flank President Trump's administration's criminal investigation into the origin of the Russia collusion hoax. As all that heat is getting turned up on the Trump White House, Donald Trump's hand-picked Attorney General Bill Barr is making good on Donald Trump's demands, several of which are illegal. The Democrats think they can somehow railroad the investigation by calling for Barr to recuse himself. Their concerns very specifically is that is on whether or not Barr had knowledge of promises made by Trump. They say, quote, if he fails either to recuse himself or to resign, Mr. Barr should be subject to appropriate congressional sanctions, including possible removal from office. Because this new
Okay, so before we get into it, we talked about this, remember? How they're trying to say that Barr is doing President Trump's bidding and that he opened up all these Ukraine investigations because President Trump asked, oh, did I just say acts? That is like a biggest pet peeve. Asked him to? Well, Millie Weaver was incredible the way she put this together. And I'm a huge He-Man fan and they use He-Man clips. I wanted to be He-Man. Shiro was okay, his sister, but not so good. So... Take a listen to how perfectly she puts this together. The criminal probe follows the arc of Trump demanding investigations into his rivals, real and perceived. Apparently, a little fact slipped their scheme. Well, let's go back to the beginning document, which you're completely briefed on the special counsel's investigation. You're completely briefed on the special counsel's investigation. I've been fully briefed on the investigation. I've been fully briefed. You see, when former Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russia collusion investigation, Matt Whitaker, who was Sessions' chief of staff, was privy to the entire Mueller investigation from beginning to end without redaction. You know what's under the redactions, Mr. Whitaker? I do, sir. You do? The special counsel's investigation, which Whitaker oversees, either before or after he took over the top spot at DOJ. So we can see why the Dems were so pissed when Trump made Whitaker the acting attorney general rather than Rod Rosenstein prior to appointing Bill Barr. At the time, multiple sources told CNN that the president talked with Whitaker about becoming acting deputy attorney general after revelations that Rosenstein suggested officials wear a wire to record the president as a way to oust him from office. In court transcripts involving the investigation into the origins of the Russia collusion hoax dossier, it appears Durham has been conducting an investigation for over a year. The importance there, again, of John Durham having the ability with a grand jury to bring in folks outside of the Department of Justice, outside of the FBI, um, which Michael Horowitz couldn't do and can't address in his report, John Durham will have the ability to bring in intelligence officials like John Brennan, like James Clapper, and explain why this, uh, how this Russia uh, Trump collusion treason uh, investigation got started. Oops. Okay, and stop right there. I'm going to play it more because she did such a phenomenal job. And uh, I urge you to go to Millennial Millie on YouTube to watch it. I will share the video. But this is going back to my report when people were like, oh, A.G. Barr tapped John Durham. And it's like, no, he didn't. He, uh, John Durham has been tapped as U.S. Uh, prosecutor, attorney in the Ukraine, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand. By the way, Comey is getting New Zealand. He got New Zealand citizenship. I'm waiting for those documents to come now, which I shouldn't be getting. So um, I'm going to ask someone to just show me the goods so that I can report. Uh, it, listen, the bottom line is Durham has been on this case before at least from October 3rd, 2018. Okay, since October 3rd, 2018. And Giuliani first went to the Ukraine November 2018, before A.G. Whitaker was even nominated as, well, appointed as acting attorney general. Okay, uh, and before Barr was even nominated. Okay, we need to understand the facts. See, they don't tell you this. You're hearing it from, from me, and obviously... Millie, because she put it together so well. 
it can be deduced that Whitaker, not Barr, appointed Durham, and there's no hiding his feelings about the special counsel's investigation. Given his record of threats to undermine and weaken the Russia investigation, Matthew Whitaker should recuse himself from any involvement in Mueller's investigation. And, then- and let me tell you something. Nancy Pelosi sent that tweet out, and you'll see it, and it was on November 7, 2018. Do you know why? Because Giuliani was already in the Ukraine at the time that he was appointed acting attorney general. Now, they're trying to say that it would be a bad thing because he had eyes on everything, Mueller, and he can't be acting attorney general. Then they flip the story saying, well, you know, we can't say that really anymore because then people are going to be like, well, what are you trying to hide? Why do you, why don't you want him? What do you mean? And so then they flip the script saying, well, he is, uh, inexperienced to be acting attorney general. We need the new attorney general. And they were on fire and revisiting my shows from November of 2018 when Barr was appointed. And when I published that article telling you who William Barr is. Going back all the way to Mina, 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 going back to him sipping cocktails in Costa Rica with Noriega, I told you that he's not going to be confirmed until the end of the first quarter or the first, you know, second or third month of uh, 2019. And I told you it's going to be coupled by the fact that General Flynn's case will not Go to sentencing. I said that to you in November of 2018, and it came out to the T. Why? Because there's a plan. That might not be based on bias, because he's apparently the one who kicked off the investigation of the investigators. We have the evidence. We've seen the Mueller report. We've seen the call transcript. We have the primary evidence. And it's very obvious to me as a former prosecutor, and it's very obvious to the Department of Justice, which has declined these cases, that there was no crime committed. And so it is. It, yeah, the American people need to understand this is a complete waste of time. Waste of time. So when the Dems have their Halloween vote, we can expect... Completely partisan vote. Completely partisan vote. The resolution is adopted without objection. The motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. You'll never catch the Legion of Doom. There's a reason we were deplatformed 14 months ago. And he's right. 14 months ago, they were deplatformed. 14 months ago. Huh. Maybe in 17 months they'll be reinstated because things are about to shake up. You know, 17 months. So that's what, three months? That's like, hmm, are we talking like January or February 2020? Hmm, where people will start regaining their platforms. Hmm, very interesting. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit later than that, only because the D platform didn't happen 100% 14 months ago. It happened slowly, slowly, slowly. So it's going to happen. It's going to come back and everyone's going to have their voice back because the Democrats no longer have control. And this is evident with the sham of an impeachment. They made it a clown show. Okay. They made it a clown show. Now, um, before we get into this uh, little time traveling machine of mine, and I'm going to take you back uh, to 2019, 2019, January 1st, my show back then, I want to um, 
play about a minute of uh, Bannon's interview that he had uh, last Tuesday. It was a really good interview that gives you very good insight. And I know a lot of people don't like him. Other people don't know what to do with him. I simply adore him. Uh, you know, he's very strong-minded. But the one thing that he does see is that they are in panic mode. And, you know, he refers to them, them, they, listen. We were hitting, you know, we we're going to hit them with additional stuff. And after that, it started, you can tell in the White House, we had the two camps start to develop. The more globalist, uh, you know, um, uh, establishment camp and more the kind of disruptors, populist, nationalist camp. And then everything eventually became a knife fight shortly thereafter. When did you know you were in the knife fight? It, the first wake-up call is when everybody didn't say on the on the victory address, oh, yeah, this is amazing. This is great. Why don't we do this? It was kind of, eh. I said, no, 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 no. This is like a Trump rally speech, right. you know, and, and it was all we should bring the country together. And to me, look, there's times for that and there's times not for that. Okay? We didn't, we didn't win an election to bring the country together. He won an election to basically come after the permanent political class and the elite in this country and hold them accountable for what they've done. And here's what they've done, okay? They've then taken off the backs of the taxpayer, the little guy, and they've saved themselves with this explosion of the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, which is just free money for them. They've destroyed the pension programs. They've destroyed the ability to save. Nobody owns anything. They have a neo-feudalistic system. Yes, it's not time to bring the country together. It's time to take on the elites in this country, take the torch to them, hit them with a blowtorch. And that's what the Trump... And look, my only time in the White House, the only thing I... And I never apologize. But the one thing I look back in hindsight, I wasn't tough and strong enough. We should have been much harder. Okay? We should. Have, I should have fought harder for some of the things I'm not saying I compromised on, but I said, okay, if that's the way it's got to be. I should, have, I should have been tougher. This country has a massive problem, and now you're seeing it. And what I told the donors, I said, you may hate my guts, okay? And because remember, in the Oval Office, I'm the guy arguing for a 44% tax on every all, all dollar, all income over five million bucks. Because I told the do donors, I said, if we don't get this thing sorted, you're going to have a left wing populism, and they're not coming for your income; they're coming for your assets. Okay, it's going to be just like Europe. It's going to be just like Europe. You see that? That is, you know, when we listen to interviews or when we listen to people speak, we need to watch for the Easter eggs. It's going to be just like Europe. In Europe, nobody owns anything anymore. They've taken their assets. That's what they're going after. I think I told you that in ways like, just like the Ukraine. They're not going for their money. They can print money. They can make money up. They can... You know, shift, uh, the, the way the interest rates are. But the bottom line is they own the Ukraine. They own their reserves that are still untapped within their borders. They own the gold in the vaults of their banks. They own every single house. I'll tell you what. In Greece, when the EU came in, they bought out all the banks. Now, according to Greek constitutional law, the bank, a foreign national bank, cannot own property in Greece. But here's the thing. 
the stupid people in Greece didn't challenge it before they changed the constitution. Some smart people, not meaning to pat themselves on their back, coached family members very well and debts were relieved. So if you had a mortgage, it was erased because they can't own it. They are bullying people into owning their own, uh, into taking their property, taking away their national treasures, taking away everything. This is what was to come. So all those big pockets out there still don't get it. Your Mark Cubans, your, you know, um, Tim Cooks, your Jack Dorsey's. They're going to own you. That's the next government under the guise of a corporate flag. Corporations, you've seen those movies of those, um, you know, really bad, nefarious futures where it's a corporation that runs the government. Mm, it's almost as if they force. So and after the break, we're going to travel back in time a little bit as we continue with Bannon, who tells you what's really going on and why they are doing all this all right welcome back everyone to the tory says show and uh continuing on we're gonna take a little bit of a time travel uh trip uh but first we're gonna let steve bannon uh introduce it before I play part of my show from January 1st, 2019. Take a listen. I've told these donors that you've got to understand something. We have to make fundamental changes to this neo-feudalistic system. People have to start to get ownership. They have to get ownership in the companies. They have to get ownership in real estate. Incomes have to start to rise. The Wall Street Journal can't go through meltdown when income, when wages starting to rise, the, you know, inflation coming back, you know, incomes rising. So there has to be fundamental change. And so I knew right away that something was going on. There were all kind of knife fights during the transition. But it really got ugly after about the, the second week in there. And it really started getting ugly. Not about immigration. They, they, they were ugly. The biggest fights were about China and trade. And that's because the reason is we had so many Wall Street guys. And look, I've worked at Goldman Sachs. We had Goldman Sachs guys in there who were basically the IR department. The investors were, Goldman Sachs and Wall Street is the investor relations partner you know, for the Chinese, uh, the Chinese CCP. Okay, let's talk about Goldman Sachs. How many times have I said, every time there's a new nation formed or every time someone needs help, who steps in? You suddenly see Goldman Sachs people coming in. Like even till today in the Ukraine, all you have to Google, Ukraine government, financial restructure, Goldman Sachs. There'll be like two individuals from Goldman Sachs sat in on the meeting. Greece, Italy. Spain, France, throughout history, Goldman Sachs just appears. And, it, and it's like, okay, wait, hold on a second. Why is Goldman Sachs coming to advise prime ministers of nations how to do things? Why are they always in the middle? This radical cadre China, that China, runs China. China. This is not about the Chinese people. This is about a radical cadre that runs the Chinese Communist Party that has a totalitarian mercantilist system that is incompatible, incompatible with the system we have in the West. One side will win and one side will lose. So very early on, in the first couple of weeks of the administration, this confrontation 
with China and its economic war became the most explosive thing. It's where all the knife fights came. All the McMaster stuff, the Cohen stuff, Mnuchin, myself, Jared, you, the, 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 pop, the nationalist and the globalist divide was because of that and then uh, then many many other issues whether it's you know get, getting putting stuff in the because remember Obama and Bush the 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 uh the globalist support this kind of they turn the military into kind of this humanitarian expeditionary force right they want to be everywhere sticking their nose in everybody's business they're just dying to get up into Syria Syria is a place they got to get up into because the Russians are in Syria right and my point is, hey, American foreign policy for 50 years has had one thing in the Middle East. Keep Russia out. Okay? And Obama's watch and Kerry's, whatever they're doing with Iran, Russia got a foothold in the Middle East. Well, you ain't going to get them out of there. Okay? It's just not going to happen. And so anything that you're doing, get up there, they want to get it on with Russia. They are, f- they are maniacally focused on Russia, a country with a economy smaller than New York State that's in a total demographic death spiral that doesn't make anything that has, it wouldn't exist if Germany and these countries in Europe do, wouldn't do natural gas deals with them. Yet we have an existential threat. The greatest existential threat we've ever had in the country's history is this totalitarian mercantilist society in China which has one belt, one road, made in China 2025, and 5G rollout converging to take away advanced manufacturing in perpetuity. And yet you have the corporatist and you have Wall Street who have all made money. Remember, the decline of America is inextricably linked to the shipping of its manufacturing base to China. It's the Wall Street faction. This is what Donald Trump understood in 2010. Donald Trump's Donald Trump today, when he goes out and speaks about China, you could literally take it from what he said in 2010. He understood the facts of the case then. And it's been the biggest, the biggest thing we've d- done as a government is in two years, we now are confronted China and it's the true economic war they've been running on us. That is the single big, when history looks back at this thing, all the other Twitter madness and everything, they, they will look at the signal and the noise. And the signal is a great power struggle as we personified or a national security document that ever came out of the, the nat- first national security plan that came out in December of 2017 said uh, global uh, radical jihad is a problem. It's a containable problem. Here's how we're containing it. Now the two great threats to the country are it's a great power struggle. And they put Russia in there, but it's basically China has gone from a strategic partner to a strategic competitor, Right. And then today, you're, you're seeing the Secretary of Defense say today we got three issues, China, China, China. That is what Trump reoriented in it from the very first days of the administration. Now, I'm going to take you guys back in time so you can listen and maybe understand the they, but see how they are not as smart as they would like to be. So... Hold on. All right, here we go. This is me coming in for, I think, the second half hour of that show. Okay, and welcome back. So, as we were saying in regards to China and artificial intelligence, it is January 1st, and I want you guys to look at 2019 differently. Think of the actual wars being fought. You know, we think that what the globalists have in mind, this... uh complete dominance, right, that they're in charge because look at what they've done, right? They've pretty much made many countries bow down to them 
work for them. The evil atrocities that they commit against children, against people just because they're not one of them. You know, we all know the stories of how they treat commoners, right? They're evil. And they will be held accountable because that's what happens in the end. But they've underestimated China. They said, well, we'll be at such a point that we can take them out when they become a threat, a real big threat. Because we're using them to execute our goals. This is what they're thinking. But that's not how it works. Think about it this way. Imagine you were brought into a coliseum to fight. And someone tells you to choose your opponent. And you see this guy who's, I don't know, 25 years old, built like a juggernaut, wearing, you know, this big, you know, steel, super, you know, just think Hulk, right? And then you see this average looking man, but he's been fighting in that ring and hasn't died. For thousands of years. Which opponent will you pick? Because he looks smaller. You don't feel intimidated. But the fact that he's been in the same place. The fact that he's built the wall you can see from space. The fact that his borders haven't really shifted. That doesn't phase you. The new guy with the big muscles and the blood dripping and, you know, all these spikes coming out of his head, fears you? No. It's a guy that's been around for very, very long and been consistent with their progress and their domain. That is who you fear. And if we notice, the first thing our president did was go and approach this warrior that wishes for world dominance. They don't want to play. They don't want to be part and cooperate and work in harmony. No, they've never done that for thousands of years. And you know, people say people change. Yeah, but not that much unless they're forced to. So our president has been, imagine just how many fronts he's fighting on right now. He's fighting on the local front for the abuse and the torment and the torture as citizens that we have sustained from these, you know, these people that think that they're stronger and better than that guy who's been in the ring for a thousand years and hasn't fallen. He went and made friends with old factions of their empire, right? South Korea, North Korea, Japan. Because the bottom line is, think about it. If we ever went to war, do you think that North Korea, South Korea, and Japan will choose the Western world as as opposed to side with the Chinese? With the Chinese that they have thousands of years of history with, either that be good or bad? It's kind of like a street fight, right? You've grown up with a bunch of kids, you know, friends, since you were like five. No, zero years old. You guys grew up together, fought, 
steal, you know, uh, stolen from each other, stole each other's girlfriends, boyfriends. You've got history there, good and bad. And then this new group comes in onto the block and picks a fight with one of them. A guy that you may not like. A guy that you may not see eye to eye, but you've got history together, right? There were times where you guys played with Legos, right? There were times where you rejoiced together in victories against other, you know, bullies that came to your block, right? In 2019, what what we all should be doing is taking a step back and looking at all these fronts, but looking at the biggest war that is available uh, for us to see and how we can conceive it. Because one is the nefarious part of things. This plan to enslave every man, woman, and child on this planet. But that's child's play compared to what they've planned. And you know what? Here's the thing. We need to ensure that we eradicate these globalists from any positions of power across the board because maybe now they see the problem with China. Now that our president has made it very apparent, artificial intelligence is very scary. We have a candidate that's running, that's promoting it, that's promoting automation, a guy named Yang, and I'll, and I'll do a full segment on this guy. I'll even ask him to maybe come on my show at some point. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there. You guys can uh, find it on iTunes. You can find it on SoundCloud. This is January 1st, 2019. And I was not off the mark at all because the plan to have President Trump in office is a very long, slotted, methodically collected plan put together. And it's unfortunate um, that President Trump's camp can't really see that. Uh, people are discouraged. Oh, no one's perp walking. You know, I, I said this yesterday, too. I was uh, talking uh, with Scott Adams and I said, you know, and me and him are completely disagreeing on uh, Anthony Eric Sierra Mella. Everybody calls him Eric. His name is Anthony. And I even saw that other people jumped on that bandwagon and I'm thinking, listen, no, it's not. And I can play a clip that can tell you about the credibility of the whistleblower. Uh, a, a journalist actually interviewed uh, Mark Lauder. I want you guys to listen to this interview quickly, and we'll jump back into China, uh, because I want to show you guys how far ahead we are. And I want you guys to listen to what he didn't even acknowledge. Take a listen. This is from October 24th. He says, and I'm quoting here, Mark, where is the whistleblower and why did he or she write such a fictitious and incorrect account of my phone call with Ukrainian president? Why did the IG allow this to happen? Who is the so-called informant? Then in parentheses, he's got Schiff, question mark, who was so inaccurate, a giant scam. One of the theories I'm hearing from people in the intel community is that Adam Schiff, quote unquote, could be this informant whistleblower because of over collection of data. Is there any veracity to something like that? Well, I, I wouldn't say that the that Adam Schiff is the actual whistleblower, although we do have a lot of reporting and Adam Schiff has admitted that his staff was in close concert with this so-called whistleblower. Okay, so first thing, he didn't even talk about over collection of data. 
And this guy is the communications aficionado, right? Mark Lauder is the guy that knows how to respond. His face, uh, the, when he heard the question posed, you can see he consciously froze his eyebrows and didn't even make mention of it, but says, I don't think it's him, it's his staff around him, you know, with this so-called whistle, listen. In fact, he hired a couple of people that may or may not have worked, according to some reporting, may have actually worked with the whistleblower under the previous administration. So there's a lot of concern right now about how much this person was coached and how much they were guided in terms of what they were to write. But at the end of the day... Okay, so the person was coached or guided to write. So who who did he hire that worked with the whistleblower with the previous administration um, when the whistleblower worked with the previous administration? So we need eight years of someone who was an Obama confidant or supporter or worked in conjunction, I don't know, with like things like, I don't know, the Democratic Coalition, uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, no, it's the Penn Quarterly Group. I'm just saying, listen. This is a person's secondhand, thirdhand account of what other people said that they heard from other people on a call they weren't even on. The tr- so there's this one person that worked with Obama at some point that themselves heard from other people talking about this, okay? And Adam Schiff hired people connected to that person who heard, but who is the heard stuff? Because the next segment of this interview is going to say it, but let's just finish this off. Transcript, the summary of the call that the president declassified and released. Okay, um, is this the one? Let me take a look. I think this is the clip. That he... My question, you're talking about the President of the United States, duly elected. There's got to be some lever that he, the Senate, that somebody can pull to for. I mean, look, there are certain whistleblower protections. I understand that. But that this person doesn't necessarily fall underneath all those to have complete anonymity. When you're talking about the President of the United States, what kind of levers can be pulled to bring this person to the forefront? And let's get this out in the open and get some questions answered. Well, and I think that's part of what this process will include, whether it's in the House or in a or if it actually does go over to the Senate. I think that's one of the reasons why you see Adam Schiff hiding the whistleblower right now, not just because of whistleblower protections, but he knows this guy's credit, this person, whether it's a man or a woman. This guy's credibility, whether it's a man or a woman, he corrects himself. Listen to that part again. Listen to it again right now, not just because of whistleblower protections, but he knows this guy's credit, this person, whether it's a man or a woman, if their credibility can be questioned, he knows in Adam Schiff. Okay, so let's break this down. Credibility can be questioned. So credibility to be questioned is a big deal if the person who is giving the hearsay can be questioned, which is 100%. But where the hearsay is coming from is what they're talking about. Now, we already know it's a guy. I've already told you who composed the whistleblower complaint, which is the guy who they're going to say is the whistleblower, right? Because, you know, he worked on the CIA report. I mean, we're going to say that he's the guy, the author's the guy, but how do they do it through over-collection? I'm trying to put this puzzle together for you guys to understand it better. I mean, I'm going to retweet this, but listen to his finishing statement. After after he says this guy corrects himself, 
listen, he talks about credibility. And so the credibility would rely on him either exposing the fact that he's involved in the overcollection, and there's no one better than Daniel J. Jones to have access and the ability to place taps. Considering the fact that he and the NSA IG are like a tushy and an underwear, right? They work together on the CIA torture report. And remember, our new IG of the NSA, the NSA that has access to every single byte of data that goes through anything in the United States, was the first presidentially appointed one in history this year. And unfortunately, during the 2017 turmoil, where just like Steve Bannon said, and this is where it comes to, there were two camps forming, the globalist and the populist, right? He was guided wrong because this IG of the NSA, Robert Stork, which I talked about over seven months ago, where I dropped his name, and a guy in the State Department by the name of Mark Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. You will not find a lot about him because he is a very big key player in sabotaging communications, but we'll get to that at a later date. I'm just reminding you, we talked about him in November 2018, and it's still not time to talk about him yet. We need to talk about him later on this month, but before Thanksgiving, when he comes to the forefront. S-T-A-H-L. For those of you that are diggers and love to go through rabbit holes, start to see what you can find. But the bottom line here is, there's got to be an admittance of who is a whistleblower. And the fear that I have right now, and I said it, and this is why it's dangerous, seeing that the National Security Council's attorney, uh, the whistleblower's attorney said, do not bring harm to the whistleblower or his family. You know, the best, the, the smartest move that the intelligence community does is compromise good sources of good Amazing journalists. Anthony's name, Anthony Eric Sierramella's name was planted. Oh, he worked with them. He worked, yeah, that was his job. This little boy, that was his job. There are many people that have associated, traveled with, been with all these people because that's their job. You cannot pick your job as an analyst. You can't have your, you know, your pit boss, you know, for your team come to you and say, yo, you're going to go with Biden to this and you're going to pay attention to that. Tell me who's wearing cufflinks and who's not. That's your assignment. Go. You can't say, yeah, you know, I don't really like Biden. He's a little bit creepy and sniffs hair. You don't have that option. So for everyone out there that has already crucified this man, has painted one of the largest targets on his back, and my fear is that they will take him out and have some confession and say, oh, look at that. Now we need to open up a probe to see who killed him. And I'm pretty sure it's the Trump campaign. I'm telling you this because that is how they operate. This is how they always operate. You know, what's funny is I saw a meme fly through my Facebook feed today that I found hilarious. Um, 
And I have a really funny story to share on that, uh, which is it's, it shows a guy sitting on an airplane scared. And it says the, you know, the, the, the most terrifying thing you can hear from someone on a plane saying is, oh, yeah, I've, I've been called to testify, uh, against Hillary Clinton and I'm flying there now. And they're on the same flight with you, right? Um, that's exactly what everyone fears being targeted and eliminated because you may bring down the house. And if they've painted this target so hard on this young man, I feel really bad. This is a nation where you're innocent until proven guilty. I don't care how guilty your association shows you, right, that you may be. We do not jump on bandwagons like that. Now, funny story. I was flying. Okay, so I've flown to Crete on a specific airlines three times in my life. Uh, the former prime minister of Greece, we're talking like nineties, right? Was named, um, Mitsotakis. Um, Konstantinos, um, um, Karamanlis was then, and then Mitsotakis. Mitsotakis is someone they called, you know, completely bad luck. Cause wherever he would go, like buildings would collapse, accidents would happen, right? So, I, I sit next to him, I, every single flight I took to Crete, to Crete, um, from Athens, um, in my whole life, I've literally sat next to him and I'm like, damn, <laughs> I sit next to the most, um, uh, unlucky guy. So the thing is the staff would seat me next to him because they would see that I was an American citizen and assume that, you know, I wouldn't start parlay with him or anything. Obviously me and him have had fun conversations. Obviously, uh, you know, I would just tell him I was a tourist, of course. Uh, but the last time I, I, I saw him and I sat down, he was like, wait a minute. He's like, did you gain weight? And, and I just, yeah, if you need to know, I had a baby. He's like, oh, you have family in Crete? This is, we've seen each other many two times. And I'm like, yeah. And I wonder how this plane is still flying. And he looked at me like, well, how do you know that I'm bad luck? You know, <laughs> kind of almost gave myself away. I just wanted to say that was super, super funny. And all he did was talk about his kids um, and talk about the destruction of Greece. Uh, he was, you know, saying, you know, I, I don't know why we're getting into the European Union. Uh, you know, they're making me out to be some demon. The socialists have taken over. I mean, it's done. He, he was saying that we're talking like early 2000s, right? We're talking late 90s. Good leaders are always painted as the devil. And this guy was painted as the biggest bad luck term on the planet <laughs> to anyone. Now, we're going to continue in this time travel trip, uh, which you're going to find pretty amazing and understand why they're pushing with this impeachment and why they want to keep China aligned. Remember, the bottom line is Schiff, all of them, are being funded by China. I'll see you all in just a bit. Real news. Okay, everyone. I'm just going to uh, now tune in to Lindsey Graham live because we're going to touch base on him right now. Uh, with a new process, to me, there's no better at all. So I want people to understand the only reason they voted in the House yesterday is because what I was able to do with my Senate Republican colleagues. Now, where do we go from here? There's still not a formal impeachment inquiry. The president's not allowed to have uh, counsel. Uh, to attend the hearings on his behalf. How would you like to be accused of something if you couldn't have a lawyer represent you? 
And the people who are sympathetic to the president's call, sympathetic to his cause, can't call witnesses unless Schiff agrees. None of that existed in the Clinton case. So I think this is a uh, duct tape political job. I think the political pressure was growing and they had to do something. And this hybrid system is not going to pass muster. I think uh, with most Americans, when they understand how uh, rigged it is, and I can just tell you right now, the substance is about a phone call that you can read for yourself. You know, the colonel who testified, God bless him, he's a great American. I'll make my own mind up about the phone call. I don't care if you have a million people listening on the phone call. I'll make my own mind up. I've made my mind up about the phone call. The president did nothing wrong. Why we're doing this, I really don't know, because it's going nowhere in the Senate. Well, the Democrats talked about impeachment really last November when they knew that they took control of the House. Well, they got nothing from the Mueller investigation, and this is July, based on a July phone call. Yeah. So, but they were talking about impeachment in November, and what they're impeaching him, what yeah. they're hoping to impeach him on is based on something that happened in July. Well, there's a couple things here. Uh, number one, the process they're using to impeach the president is a threat to the presidency. If the House in the future can have closed doors proceedings and selectively leak information detrimental to future presidents, then that's the way to destroy the presidency without basic due process. So that really bothers me. Number two, after Mueller, I thought we would move on. I was hoping we would move on. And I got a lot of grief, crap for lack of a better word, about supporting the idea that Mueller should not be fired until his job is done. I know Bob Mueller. I've known him for years. I thought he would be fair. I think he was fair. And the bottom line is it seems to never end. This process in the, uh, in the House is not fair. It's being driven by people uh, who are sore losers. It seems to me they're coming off as people who just can't accept that Trump won and will do everything they can to hurt him so he doesn't win again. Every day we talk about this, we're not talking about a $52 trillion Medicare for all plan. Every day we're talking about this, we're not talking about the agenda of the other side and the accomplishments of the president. I think this is motivated by Democrats to try to get an advantage in 2020. It's not based on, on any violation of law that I'm familiar with. And uh, I hope it backfires on me. Again, I tried to give Mueller the space he needed to do his job. He did it. I thought this was over, Jane. It's never going to end. We're a year out from the election. My advice to my Democratic colleagues, beat Trump at the ballot box. Take your ideas and compare them to his. If you don't like the way he conducts himself, take it to the voters. Don't come up with some system that's basically un-American, devoid of due process, that puts the whole presidency at risk. This is such a sham proceeding and, quite frankly, dangerous. I want to bring up um, gun control. Yep. So um, Trump has now abandoned his proposed ideas to, to curb gun violence yeah. um, after saying he, he would following recent mass yeah. shootings. I, I don't know if it's been abandoned, but I'd recommend to the president, as you try to defend yourself against the, this process, don't forget that you're still president. I don't think you will. Baghdadi is dead. Clearly. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. So this interview is impromptu. He's at Pendleton. Um, 
I, I, uh, it's live on Facebook right now. This is where I was streaming it actually from my phone, uh, because I couldn't quickly enough, uh, put it, uh, connected to the system with the radio station. I want you guys to know that I, I urge you to take a look at that video at some point. Lindsey Graham actually tweeted out, uh, the link to the Facebook live from that local station. And all you have to do is look at his face. Lindsey Graham looks very different. He looks terrified. He knows that they are in big trouble. Lots of trouble. All of them. Including him. And him saying that he's stepping down and not running again is exactly what the President of the United States has been saying all along. Either they step down or we get them out. Remember? That is what he said. And that is important that we understand it. That we understand exactly what's going on here. Because it's happening. For all of you who think that there was no plan, you are clearly mistaken. Capital One today has an outage. What if I told you that the money that this Navy contractor with the arms that Amy Klobuchar and, and Poland and Lindsay and these shipping companies. Well, we're going to get to that because I, I think talking about it is a lot easier for me than writing about it because it's so intricate. And, um, there's just so many pieces that I have linking together. It's kind of like a spider web, but it all comes down to just a handful of people. In my article that I published yesterday under the guise, it was it yesterday or the day before yesterday, I'm telling you that they are now reaping whatever they sowed. And the harvest month is the day, is the month that all of them are starting to get their wings clipped. And this is how it's happening by taking them down one by one. When I played that video, that uh, audio from my show on January 1st, I made it clear to you that what President Trump did strategically was go around China and forge these friendships because they are a force to be reckoned with if the Oriental Bloc unifies, which is something that can happen easily. And there is no way that President Trump would be able to break that bond. Like I said, you're on the street riding bikes with these guys for decades, for and for in their case, for thousands of years. You've fought, you've stolen each other's bikes, girlfriends, played jacks, you know, rolled dice, played Monopoly, had nosebleeds together, went on an expeditions, had victory together, had failures together, slaughtered each other. But when the new guy comes around the block and picks a fight with one of them, even if that one of them was the biggest bully in your group of friends on your block, you're going to support the old time friend. And so right now, okay, what we're seeing is the same scenario on a more trivial level within the United States. We have this cabal that works for them, right, within our nation that um, work together to diminish, to take away power from the people. And when it comes down to it, no one is going to, none of these cabalists are going to break rank because they're being blackmailed. 
Uh, a very good example of body language and fear is Owen. Owen, uh, there was this, uh, um, a discussion that they were having celebrating the fact that thank God for the deep state. I want you guys to listen to it, but I'll, um, I, I retweeted it last night. You'll see it. It was from Unicorn Rescue Service. You need to look at John Owen Brennan's face. Since I know him quite well, that is the face of panic. That is the face, you know, he's made when he's been called out. I know that face very well. And that face is something that we all wear at some point when they catch us with our pants down or when we're like, man, you shouldn't have said that because I'm in a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, kind of like the look that Blumenthal gave to Schiff when Schiff's like, yeah, we're going to try him for crimes. And Blumenthal was like, what are you saying, dude? So take a listen to what was said. Thank God for the deep state. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, everyone here has seen this progression of diplomats and intelligence officers and White House people trooping up to Capitol Hill right now and saying, these are people who are doing their duty who are responding to a higher call. Responding to a higher state. call. Listen to it. <laughs> so when he said that, John Brennan adjusted his position Mustard laughed and sat back like, <laughs> but listen to what he says. They're all marching to Capitol Hill for a higher call for them, of course. I mean, I think, you know, everyone here has seen this progression of diplomats and intelligence officers and White House people trooping up to Capitol Hill right now and saying, these are people who are doing their duty or responding to a higher call. Now, let me tell you something. The one thing that the people aren't seeing is all those diplomats, those, you know, former or current intelligence officials, former or current military officials or rank and files, the good guys that are surrounding Capitol Hill to cut them where their BS is and just follow it. <laughs> we have eyes everywhere. And that's what's funny. Here is where um, you understand the sheer panic from this simple interview on Schiff. OK, Schiff tweeted this out um, yesterday, yesterday evening while I was at the gym. I saw this and I was like, boy, they are in pure panic mode. And he was talking about the rules for the inquiry. So he says nearly 50 House Republicans can attend every deposition and, and interview. Republicans have had equal time to ask questions Today's resolution uses the same rules as the Nixon and Clinton impeachments. The process attacks have failed because facts still matter. Well, facts do matter, and the process that you've put through is not the same as the Nixon and Clinton impeachments because the Senate, in, the House Intel never had uh, access to such things, but okay, they're all the same. See, this is how people don't know what to do, and I said this. Last year, and by compare and contrast, they are congesting the information highway with so much rubbish that you tune out. And this is why it's important that when you listen to voices, you don't listen to voices that jump on the bandwagon. You don't listen to voices that jump off the beat of the drum of the mainstream media or some great reporter. You listen to voices that tell you, listen, I'm going to tell you what I see. I'm going to tell you what the facts are. I don't care what everybody else is talking about. I'm telling you what's important. And what's important right now is that we're not paying attention to China, and they're doing that on purpose. Russia, Russia, Russia. Like Bannon said, 
Their economy is smaller than that of New York, but what he omitted to say is that they're in surplus. They have no debt. The fact that they're in the Middle East is not because Obama wasn't paying attention. In in fact, well, kind of it is, because they got the foothold in the 70s when they built their naval base there. But everyone's aligning with Russia. Why? Because Russia wants a fair playing ground. And Russia is like, listen, China's a problem. I'm going to be counting. You know, Russia is probably the only nation on this planet that has reinforced their protections on intellectual property against the Chinese, yet we're sleeping here and giving them everything we have? Mm. Just listen to what Schiff has to say here. This is incredible. Republicans say the rules are unfair, are they? No, in fact, the rules are very much the same as they were during the Nixon impeachment, during the Clinton impeachment. Uh, But look, uh, all they have to argue is process, and even the president has acknowledged that's a failure. Uh, And it's been a failure because we have had over 100 members eligible to participate in the depositions. The Republicans have been given the same amount of time to question witnesses as the Democrats. When we go to open hearings, that will be the case, too. The American people will get to see both with the release of the transcripts and with the conduct of the open hearings that they're fair and they're equal to both sides. But as we get ready for these public hearings that everyone can watch, Republicans say they're concerned that the Democrats will block the witnesses that they want to hear from. Can you assure them that you won't reject those witnesses? Well, we've asked them for proffer of which witnesses they think are relevant. And I have to say we have concerns that they're going to propose a bunch of witnesses that have no bearing that they can use merely to smear the president's opponents or for other improper purposes. It's important to note that to the contrary of what they have been saying, in both Clinton and the Nixon impeachments, the minority did not have the right to call witnesses on their own unilaterally. They could call for a vote, uh, but it was a majority vote uh, that they were not assured of winning. So we would love to hear who they're interested in uh, having come before the committee. But given the kind of circus-like tactics, the storming of the skiff and all the stunts the president you know, puts them up to, uh, we can't surrender the process to the minority party. Do you expect there will be public hearings this month? Uh, it's certainly my hope uh, that that will be the case. What it won't. has been difficult is that from day to day, we're not always sure until the witness shows up whether they're going to show up. Obviously, the administration has been making a consistent effort, consistent effort to prevent these witnesses, to obstruct their testimony. So sometimes we don't know until we see the whites of their eyes if they're going to show up. Mr. Chairman, thank you. Thank you. We could definitely see Schiff's white of his eyes, bug eye, pencil neck idiot. He's horrific. Now let's hop back to Lindsey Graham because this is going to make so much sense to you. So we talked about China and the existential threat because, again, just like for the corrupt swamp, the way that you hurt someone is in their pocket. I mean, if they can't afford to pay for the lights, put foods in their belly and heat their home when it's cold, which, by the way, it's snowing right now. So I'm super excited to put on my Christmas wreath with snow. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say um, they uh, hurt you with your pocket. And China is going to has been hurting us in our pocket. And China has been funding All of the Democrats, Lawfare, Brookings Institute, all of them funded by the Chinese guys. So we're not only confronted by the Muslim Brotherhood that is like this rogue, you know, organization that has penetrated every facet because they were hired and they were empowered and they were requested at the behest of these globalists, right? 
We're also fighting the people that are targeting our pocket. So they're targeting our pocket and targeting our ability to defend ourselves from physical harm. Okay? So they've got us on two fronts. The only front that they don't have is justice. Justice, truth, and fact. They cannot harm that. They're tainting it. They're throwing, it's like they're throwing pasta up against the wall and hoping it sticks. They're really, really pushing for it, but it's not really happening. And here is how it happens. So yesterday, I told you guys um, during my show that big news is going to be coming out. Well, we had a statement come out right after my show by Kevin McCarthy. Take a listen. We just had a vote on the floor. In March of this year, Speaker Pelosi said this about impeachment. Impeachment is so divisive to the country that unless there's something so compelling and overwhelming and bipartisan, I don't think we should go down that path because it divides the country. Today, the country just witnessed the only bipartisan vote on that floor was against. The question to the speaker are the same questions I provided in a letter about the unfair process that we had. What has changed since March? In all the hearings, there's nothing compelling, nothing overwhelming. So the speaker should follow her own words on what bipartisan vote on that floor and in the sham that has been putting this country through this nightmare. That's exactly what this vote shows today. I want to call up our whips, Steve Scalise. Right. So we're going through a nightmare, but more so, I guess I'm really embarrassed for us, okay, as a nation. They're embarrassing us. But now I'm going to take you back in time again to November. November 2018, when I started ripping on Lindsey Graham. Um, and I did a whole show of it because everyone was like, Super cheering for Lindsey Graham because Chuck Grassley stepped down to give Lindsey Graham free reign to go after Hillary and Comey, right? And the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, he was a chairman and, um, he will step down from that role because he was going to be the new chairman of the Finance Committee. So here's where I'm telling you how we're winning, you guys, because I get emails from so many of you like, oh my gosh, no one's perping. Oh my gosh, look at that. It was another CIA agent that did it. And this guy named Eric and blah, blah, blah. listen, if, if, if you look at what has happened, you get it. What have I told you? China is an existential threat to what? Our pockets, right? That is how they crippled us. And now we've taken that power back. So how do we find out how they entered our pockets? By finding out what pockets they line. What pockets do they line? Who gets funded by Qatar and the Muslim Brotherhood and Turkey? Who gets funded by the Chinese lawfare? Hey, Brookings Institute, hey. Twitter decided to cut a huge funding source, which is political advertising. Who's making up for those millions of dollars in ads? Qatar. How do you find this from the finance committee? How do you find out how the Democrats fund themselves and how they've been abusing amalgamated bank from the finance committee and who went there? Chuck Grassley. 
who gave his seat to Lindsey Graham. Why? Because the only way you can get rid of the swamp is to let the swamp pull their own pants down. The fact that he only held on to this seat as chairman for one year tells you everything you need to know. We put him there to follow and expose. And as chairman of the Senate Judiciary, what has he done for the Nation. What has he done for the president? Absolutely nothing. So I urge you to watch the video on Facebook the day after he makes the announcement that he is no longer, uh, you know, going to take the 2020 Senate Judiciary Chair and then he wants to give it back to Chuck Grassley. Right. He said that he's giving it back. Right. And everyone's remembering how Lindsey Graham was like ripping into Peter Strzok, ripping into the Kavanaugh. Whoa, look at this sword. Yeah, everybody just bite because I'm one of you. No, you're not. You made tons of money, tons of money in the Ukraine, tons of money in Syria. No committee hearings at all under one year. Nothing about Spygate, about Biden, about Papadopoulos. Nothing. What about calling out the fact, the fact that we have the mainstream media sitting there saying, how dare you question people's integrity? Cuck Todd said that to um, uh, Kelly Armstrong. I'm going to play the more extended clip through Facebook right after the break. But he said that. And I'm thinking, dude, we had all of these committee hearings with these people from the FBI that testified, right? Not opening statements, but testified that they did everything by the book. And now we find out they altered 302, something I already told you about from like November of 2018. Because it's already there. You're just not looking in the right place because they congest the information highway. So it is important for us to be critical. Now, he's stepping down and he's not even going to take and run, I think, for 2020 at all. You know, he tried to destroy our nation. He helped in destroying by playing flippy floppy, kind of like Tulsi Gubbard. Yeah, you know, boy, let's go for impeachment. Come on, man. Come on. This is where you need to pay attention. Consistency, consistency, consistency. You know, the future will look back on us, depending on what timeline we pick, you know, sliding doors every day, every day, that of how we respond to what we are given. Our intellectual level of understanding is at stake here. We're going to be looked at as idiots. For all of you out there that don't seem to understand just how carefully planned this is, I'm trying to lay it out. This is how... You get them. You bring your enemies super duper duper close. Now, on that note, I feel that some enemies are penetrating the lines of the White House. I see and I tell and I would expect everyone else out there to see and tell, right? That shouldn't be there. That are so covert that they're covert of they're more covert than any covert person you would ever know. They're harmless when they can't find a camp to sit with. So it's a good thing that there's people there that can see that. You know, anyone that speaks out against them, like Daphne Barak said, is radioactive. They will smear you. They will destroy you. On that note, 
I just wanted to say the most banned person in our nation right now is Laura Loomer, right? Super good friend of mine. Like I said, the minute she heads to Congress, I'm heading there with her because seriously, I'm going to be moving to DC. Uh, I want you guys to know that President Trump just moved for tax reasons, first of all, okay? And I said that uh, yesterday to, to to the people that I have conversations with. It's all about taxes. I mean, um, zero income tax, pretty good, right? <laughs> just saying. But um, it's also with the probes and with the investments and with the commitment that you have to a, an area. And you know what's really cool? That Congresswoman Laura Loomer will be the president's congresswoman. That is so awesome. So uh, for all of you, right before we break, I just wanted to say, if you can spare $1, go to lauralumerforcongress.com, donate to her campaign. She will be your voice. We all know she is. And we need more people like that running forever, ever, ever. I'll see you all in a bit. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Um, and we're going to continue on the you understanding how things are panning out. But I wanted to replay that tweet that I sent out for Kelly Armstrong, uh, who's really, you know, eyes and ears for us during this impeachment process, too. So, you know, even though he's not your congressman, you know that you can always reach out to him as someone that is part of the Oversight Committee. So I want you to listen to the more extended interview, the full interview with Cuck Todd. Um, Take a listen. It's it's really good because the clip didn't do much justice. Carson. Uh, I hate Facebook. <laughs> it takes forever sometimes to just sync it up. So I'm doing this. It should have synced up already. But Carson Armstrong, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, let me start with the same question I started with Mr. Meeks. Um, Mr. Morrison, what kind of witness was he as far as you were concerned? I think Mr. Morrison was a very good witness. I think um, it just goes to prove our point that we want all of these transcripts released. We want as much information out to the general public as soon as possible so the American people can decide what's going on down in the bunker. Um, It sounds like you're for public hearing. So in some ways, you're glad this process is going to become a more public uh, 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 thing. Why is that? As somebody who sits on both the Judiciary Committee and has dealt with uh, this impeachment um, farce since I, since the first day I got into Congress and has sat through almost all of the oversight depots, I've not heard a single thing down there that shouldn't be public. I'm still concerned about how it's going to work. As somebody who's practiced criminal law in my enti- for almost my entire adult life, there are procedures, there are things that go in place, and as we get here, just public hearings isn't enough. I mean, the, I'm not sure you can undo the damage that has already been done. I mean, this is about credibility, fairness, and due process, and I can tell you my criminal clients in federal court had more than the White House has had up to this point. But yes, I want public hearings. I want them as quickly and as fairly as possible. What are the witnesses? One of the things that the new law is going to allow is for if the president wants to call witnesses, he can. What witnesses do you think he should call or what witnesses would you like to see called that haven't been? 
Well, I, I would like to see Mr. Morrison's testimony as public as possible, but those are decisions for I mean, for the White House to make. I just, I always err on the side of transparency. I, think, I mean, the one difference, we continue to equate these things to criminal cases, but you have to remember at the end of, at the end of any kind of criminal investigation, one, nothing leaks during the middle of it. For as many criticisms as I have of the Mueller report, there weren't leaks that were going out every 30 seconds to drive a narrative. But the problem when you leak specific things is that facts are stubborn things, and as the whole picture comes into play, yeah. particularly when you're dealing with the game of telephone evidence, you're starting working towards that. So I, I, I mean, I'm just going to err on the side of my, my constituents and anybody in the country seeing all of it. We've seen these opening statements, and I'll be honest with you, I've been, I've been trying to be careful of just going by facts we've learned from opening statements, and I've tried to ignore the sources say this was also said. Okay, wait a minute. He said facts we learned in the opening statement. In opening statements, there are no facts. Adam Schiff's opening statement is highly recommended to be revisited when you hear Cuck Todd saying that an opening statement has facts. An opening statement is nothing but a narrative and an introduction to what their belief is. It's not a fact. Facts come out when you put the witness on the stand. Facts come out when you cross-examine them. Facts come out... When you actually answer questions, an opening statement, kind of like Adam Schiff's phone call opening statement, are all fictional and all perspective and all opinion that may derive from some truth. So Cuck Todd making that statement indicates that they're trying to tell people that an opening statement is a fact. And here's where Kelly Armstrong comes in and says, okay, Cuck, let me tell you inside but just based on the opening statements since that is something most of us have been able to read it is as more transparent than anything else about this process um, have you been concerned about the number of instances where it's clear the process wasn't followed here when it came to aid with ukraine well, am I concerned about it? First of all, I want to start with opening statements aren't even testimony. They're not part of the cross-examination. They're not part of that process. So I, I get testimony and evidence are two different things to begin with, particularly when they're released without any, any cross-examination. Also, I would argue that most of these opening statements are, I mean, it's not even hearsay because that, that would be equating this to some kind of official court proceeding, but it's the game of telephone. It's third-hand, it's fourth-hand, it's fifth-hand information. And without having the ability to read those whole transcripts, it's really hard to talk about that, especially when you're somebody who's in the room, because I think those opening statements do not paint an accurate picture of what is being said. Well, okay, but they certainly are standing <laughs> by it. They're saying it under oath. I mean, yeah, we saw Peter Stroke say things under oath. Lisa Page, Loretta Lynch, Brennan Clapper. Can we start naming people? Because, you know, these channels have people that have been fired from federal agencies. We have people that have been caught lying. You know, there was a panel where we had, you know, fired Baker who was being criminally investigated in 2018. No one's talking about that, right? Criminal investigation into Baker in 2018 by Durham. We have that as a fact, part of his testimony that his lawyer said that, you know, sits there and comments. We have McCabe who, oh, you got rid of me because uh, withdrew that. Uh, he's under criminal investigation. All those faces are all over these mainstream media channels that are giving you fair news and 
truthful news because they said it under oath, so it has to be true. The thing is, all of these guys said absolutely nothing that is true, and so their testimony means nothing that they stand by it because we can't even honor the oath that we take when we're testifying. It seems like lying to Congress is okay as long as you're not, I don't know, a conservative, I don't know, someone that wants to take down the globalists because in a court of law, they'd be locked up. And, you know, they all are in due time. I do view, I mean, should we not take what's said in those opening statements, whether it's Ambassador Taylor, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, uh, Fiona Hill, that we shouldn't take that as their testimony? I think you should take that as their opening statement to their testimony. And when you have okay. the whole transcript, when each side gets to read it. But I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. I think that this is abundantly clear. And this is something I've noticed in D.C. since the first day I got here. One of the things that the career establishment bureaucratic establishment doesn't like about the president is he doesn't do things in the same way that they're used to. And I think actually that's why the guy got elected and that's why I was proud Mm -hmm. to support him. So saying that something wasn't done properly or through proper channels does not make it illegal, does not make it improper, and does not make it impeachable by any stretch of the imagination. Well, of course, there is an illegal standard to impeachment. As you know, it doesn't matter whether something legal or not. Whether we, as we know, impeachment is a political... It's a political definition, right? We know, I mean, what's impeachable? It's like a ham sandwich. What can you indict? You can indict a ham sandwich. Okay, okay, okay. Guys, that clip is going to be the most important clip coming forward in the next couple weeks because these clowns are going to get the grand jury documentation that that corrupt judge said, yeah, you know, all those failed attempts to indict a ham sandwich by Mueller with all that information, uh, you need to release it to us, give it to us. Because we want to make it public. So remember that. Cuck Todd said, hey, uh, you can indict a ham sandwich. So there you go. This is all we need to keep playing on repeat. You can indict a ham sandwich. You can indict a ham sandwich. Because when I'll tell you kind of like a scoop. There's going to be a case that's going to come forward uh, that was in the grand jury through Mueller, which is going to say some really crazy things. Crazy things like so-and-so said that um, President Trump went, met with XYZ and so-and-so said that President Trump said this to XYZ and XYZ said that to them. And so-and-so said that this country and, and, and our country should be unified as one. And so this was presented as evidence to the grand jury. And the grand jury said, all right, can, can you... Show us the evidence for that. Yeah, I don't have that. Why? Well, that person's no longer alive, so all we have is, yeah, okay. So is there anyone else to corroborate this, like time, place, location? No, there isn't. Okay, then you're not getting an indictment. Gosh darn it. Because their backup plan was Mueller's deleting all these things. He's stretching it out as long as he can so he can be a roadblock for this presidency while we frustrate the president to 
attempt to remove you so we can get him at, his, at obstruction of justice. In the meantime, Mueller already knew there was no Russia collusion, so they added on the whole obstruction of justice, which failed, and that was at the tail end, because there was no Russia collusion. They were like, damn it, what do we do? Ooh, let's do obstruction of justice. Didn't he say that he wanted Mueller removed? Let's work on that. And then that failed, and Barr came in and said, all right, man, let me take a look. Let me see what's going on here. Dude, Robert, what is wrong with you? I mean, you're corrupt and whatever, but this is just way too far. What happened? You know, probably the conversation. So remember, <laughs> this is so much. you can indict a ham sandwich. And here's Kelly Armstrong's response to that. As, as somebody who served on the House Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee, I can tell you full, with full support that this impeachment process, process is a purely political exercise. Is there anything you've heard that's been disturbing to you? Is there, I'm curious this, uh, because, you know, I've talked to plenty of Republicans who are in this sort of middle ground. They don't believe it's impeachable, but they do think the president did something here that he shouldn't have done. But there is no mechanism to, to sort of wrap his wrists because it's either all or nothing. Yeah, I think the answer to all of that is if whenever you put yourself in this situation as somebody else, particularly somebody with President Trump's personality and those types of things, would you have done some things maybe a little different? Sure. But that doesn't rise to, to the point of impeachment, particularly when you're dealing with the Democratic Party that started these the second day I got here and just moves from one issue to the other. I've seen nothing remotely close to something that rises to the conduct uh, of impeachable. And if impeachment was actually, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, as somebody who's done this in, the, in a court of law my entire life, I would be happy to defend the president in any real courtroom. All right. The most important thing is prove a point to me. Are the Washington Nationals the only thing that unites Congress these days? It's Washington Nationals are the only team you're allowed to have it be your second favorite team because they're everybody's favorite team until their other team came. But it was a great exactly. game last night. It was fantastic. All right. Well, it's sort of the point I've been trying to prove. It's like it's it's the one thing keeping this town from totally cracking up anyway. Right, Cuck Todd. See what he said? This town is cracking up. You want me to tell you how it's cracking up? Let me tell you how we're getting all these D.C. rats coming in. I'm, I'm going to tell you how. We have to pay attention to former legislative uh, state legislators in D.C. They're penetrating the Democrat Party. This is a very big deal. OK, no one is paying attention. We had three of them move over into, you know, the D.C., um, uh, you know, House, a former candidate for seat in the Maryland House of Delegates just joined, uh, Representative Nanette Burrigan's staff. She is a, um, she is a congresswoman from California as a senior le- legislative assistant this month. You know, the key, the biggest key position. One would say for someone in Congress is the chief of staff because they pick people, right? But your actual weapon is the person that seems to do a whole lot of just digging. And that's the legislative director who appoints legislative assistants and lawyers to dig into legislation. You know, they're like, wait a minute, this looks like a loophole. Give me the report on that. Do that. Those are the people, right, that point out where it, where we're having problems. Now, I want to tell you, this guy, Matt Dernoga, who moved from Maryland District 21, um, he uh, he worked on um, 
what is it? He worked on the side of not taking any money from fossil fuel uh, industry, and he pledged that. He, like, signed a pledge. So he's on the environmental task force. Now, I've seen this huge move, you guys, to the California congressperson's, you know, desks to get a lot of these environmentalists, and it's segregated to what is on the, you know, and what they call a conspiracy theory on the new California, old California map. So the old California is literally getting, okay, all of these people that are promoting environmentalist actions. They are all flocking to those uh, Congress people. So the question is, you know, uh, what is their strategy? Are they going to split California between 2020? Is this another distraction? And, you know, um, what we're seeing now with Lindsey Graham, uh, you know, stepping back and understanding that he got caught, right? He got really caught. I mean, this is the guy that went out last week and said, you know, um, he was on the 700 Club, uh, I think like a week, uh, a week and a half ago. And he said he would become President Donald Trump's worst nightmare if he allowed Turkey to continue the assault on Kurds in northern Syria. And here's another thing, just so you guys understand. I'm, I'm going to play that clip. But the Democrats have rallied up against Turkey. And, you know, there's nothing more than I would le- like to see that, you know, uncertain, you know, um, uh, uncertain and allegiance nation be regulated at, right? I've been talking about it for over a year. But when you see the Democrats orchestrating this, this is where you need to uh, be careful. So yesterday on Facebook, and before I play this, I'm going to tell you this. Yesterday on Facebook, uh, page six uh, ran uh, an article, um, and a friend of mine shared it, and I was like, dude, it's fake news, take it off, um, that Kim Kardashian pushed to get the Armenian genocide recognized. Remember when we were talking about um, Turkey, and I said, oh, isn't it crazy how Kim Kardashian is suddenly, you know, at the site of the Armenian genocide, you guys? Remember when I said it? Remember? And um, I told you how she was laying. I was like, that's so convenient that on that day, she's there laying down flowers while this is going on. Mm. So it's BS. Because the people that put forward to get this bill passed were nothing but Adam Schiff and Nadler. And that was done to be used as a weapon. And every single idiot that voted yes did their bidding. You know what they could have done? Just not show up. Let it hang. Don't vote. Table it. But everyone helped Adam Schiff and uh, Nadler get their weapon shined. You know, I am all for recognizing the genocide, and I acknowledge it, and I've been saying it, because they've been committing genocide for forever and a day. I mean, you know, they clearly said, we're going to slaughter all of them. You know, that is what genocide is. That is what, you know, it states in our conventions, our international conventions of war, what genocide is. But the thing is, they weaponized it because President Trump found a good balance to regulate this ticking time bomb called Turkey. They've put their chips in too many baskets and all the baskets want to bite them in the butt. And again, we're not going to be the ones that are going to solve it. It's going to be Russia. Okay, it's going to be Russia. So the question is, 
Why can't people see this? I mean, why would you, any bill that Schiff or Nadler put up, I'd be like, yeah, so let's table that for after 2020. You know, we've been tabling everything in its mother. Let's table that till after 2020. See, people aren't paying attention and they like that because, you know, I hate to say it, but we're one of the stupidest you know, nations. Why? Because we get dumbed down by congested information. I, You know, we are stupid because we can't see. And then we go mouthing off on things like, oh, that's the whistleblower. Oh, that's it. No, one source told you that. One source planted. And that, and that source is a great and credible source. But it was planted. Oh, Kim Kardashian advocated. No, she didn't. Nadler and Schiff put it up. You think Kim Kardashian went to see Adam Schiff? If she did, and I got more questions on that Jesus is King thing. I'm just saying, we always have to be objective when we look at things. And the objectivity that we should have now is they are pulling out anything they can to damage our foreign policy. This is treason. This is sedition. They're organizing for a rebellion. That's another law they're breaking. This is what you need to pay attention to. They have committed treason. And everyone is kind of like totally blasé talking about whatever the mainstream media is. It feels like our media, the media of the people, is trying to counter whatever the mainstream media says. No, ignore them. You remember how our parents used to say, just ignore the bully, they'll go away. It doesn't always work, right? But in this case, it would. Because if your media isn't even talking about anything they're talking about, Right. If the voice of the people is talking about what they find important, I find this. Let's talk about health care. I find arms deals. Let's talk about that. I find this. Let's talk about that. And we're not talking about what they're talking about. Then they've lost. Because what they try to do is make us insanely respond to whatever they're saying. That's the thing. They want to live rent-free in your head and enrage us and say, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe they said that. Yeah, I'm one of them. Guys, when I finish my workout, all I do is watch CNN videos, and, I, and I'm, and i like, you know, getting a hydro massage, <laughs> and I'm tensing myself up. I should stop doing that. But I'm just saying, like, they want to live rent-free in our heads. They're, they're trying to troll our minds so we can't think anymore. Listen to what Lindsey Graham said just a couple weeks ago, and you heard earlier what he said just today. With Congress, uh, great to see you. Thank you for being with Thank us. Thank you. Hey, listen, Thank I understand you. Erdogan won't meet with Mike Pence. Is that true? I don't know, but Erdogan's not your friend. My, uh, Pat, you've, you've done a great job. Uh, to your viewers, if we are not praying for the Kurds, we should all be ashamed of ourselves. It was the Kurds who worked with the American military to destroy ISIS. If we abandon the Kurds, it will be dishonorable. It will be a disaster. So Erdogan uh, invaded Turkey. He has, uh, excuse me, Syria. He has created a vacuum for ISIS to come back. The Kurds cannot fight Turkey and control the 10,000 ISIS prisoners. Uh, I am looking to President Trump to change this. I will do anything I can to help him, but I will also become President Trump's worst nightmare. I will not sit alone on the sidelines and watch a good ally, the Kurds, be slaughtered by Turkey and watch Iran move into uh, Syria and become another nightmare uh, for Israel. This is a defining moment for President Trump. He needs to up his game. 
a nightmare for Israel. Okay, so if you guys heard my interview with Bill Gnosti, something that a lot of people don't know is, is that Israel isn't recognized by a lot of countries as a nation, right? Turkey was the first Muslim majority to recognize Israel, so stop. Turkey's not going to bother Israel right now. Stop. Because they're friends right now, right? Now, here's where Lindsey Graham's upset, and I'm going to break it down to you. The way that they make money is by selling guns, right? China does that, too. Cheap parts. Let's push it out. I mean, how do you place an order for all these parts, Amy Klobuchar, for the Ukrainians and uh, churn them out, you know, and sign for a $10 million contract and not have the parts? You guys... How do you do that? By using China. And I'm going to tell you how they use China because there was a very significant arrest that happened just a little while ago that no one's talking about. And that is of our own military. Oh, how dare you question someone in uniform? How dare you, right? Um, how dare you question someone that has worn this uniform, Tory? How dare you? Well, We've had him arrested. That's the thing. We arrested someone in uniform. And do you know how we arrested them? And I'm just going to leave you with this for the weekend to think about it, okay? Why did we arrest this guy? Because he was selling parts, okay? Selling parts from our Navy. I go back again to Navy to China. And how was he doing this? Through some shipping container company in California. Who has shipping container companies in California? Oh, that's right. Nancy Pelosi. And not only that, um, he also was using special shipping companies that are based in California. So you have to wonder, you know, wonder, right? How is this all happening? There are our own people are literally our own soldiers are literally. Well, you know, he is a Chinese uh, American. And again, I say it, you know, he may be honorable now, but he's not. He wasn't honorable before or something. Right. But this is what people need to understand is that. Even people in uniform can have allegiances to different nations. And this is why I said it was very important that we ensure that we hire the right people. Now, this story hasn't been covered much. And over the weekend, I'll um, kind of put it together for you guys so you can read it. But this um, uh, Army, um, Army National, this Navy guy, it was an officer, uh, Lieutenant Fang Yang. He got caught trying to deliver products um, from the re- uh, reconnaissance weapon schools at the Naval Air Station in Jacksonville, Florida. You guys, this is a big problem. He got caught trying to sell what he said was going to Hong Kong, but it was going to mainland China. And, uh, you know, quoted the price to add 55 horsepower Evinru outboard motors marked for military use. This happened on our watch. This happened with our people and the fun funny thing is we got Louisiana, California and Connecticut linked to all of this. Oh, and guess what? He was in Sioux City, Iowa, and he was attempting to flee because he bought a ticket from Nebraska. He was going to drive there and fly out and run away, but he got caught at the airport. Guys, this is huge. Navy contractors in the United States sending our own stuff to China. Incredible. Have a wonderful weekend, guys. God bless.